Welcome to Grace Covenant Church, D.C. You're listening to our weekly sermon podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this message. So today is the last uh, week of our series. We'll start a new series next week called His, His Field, of which we are a part in working. Um, but I want to start with Luke chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And then we'll read Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11. Holy Spirit, help us. Um, In fact, we say thank you because you are our helper. Uh, May we respond to your leadership in our life. Amen. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. It's really important. Eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, And asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore left everything, and followed him. Great moment. Luke, who is the writer of this letter, is by training a physician. He's also a historian. And he is paying careful attention to establish a record for not only those of his day, but it actually is for us as well. And I don't know that he had us in mind when he penned it. But he says something that's significant. In the very first two verses, he writes about all those who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. And we understand from scripture that when we say the word, we're referring to Jesus himself. He is the word who took on human form. And so he, but what's unique here is prior to the New Testament, in the Old Testament, you have Men and women, you have regions, whether it's a town, a city, a a nation, people who were servants of the word, but they were not eyewitnesses because they had not seen Jesus with their own eyes. So Luke comes writing that what I'm writing down was handed down to us by those who were both eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So this is really good. So when you begin to read Luke's gospel, 
He begins with those who are eyewitnesses. One of the first eyewitnesses was Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, who gave birth to John miraculously. John, who grew up and became John the Baptist. Uh, then you have Mary and Joseph, who were eyewitnesses. Mary being the one who is giving birth to Jesus, the Son of God. And even when they present him in the, the uh, temple for what we call uh, baby dedication, it was a different term there in the Jewish culture, but Simeon and Anna are eyewitnesses. And then John the Baptist grows up and he's baptizing people and he has people following him, like uh, Andrew, who is Simon Peter's brother, this fisherman who we just read about. So all of these people in Luke, what they have in common is that they are eyewitnesses of Jesus. That's what's amazing. And their testimony of who he is and what they've seen is important. So Luke's gospel is not about Simon and Andrew. It's not about James and John. It's not about John the Baptist. It's not, it's not centrally about Joseph and Mary or Zechariah. It's about Jesus who is at the center of it all. And all these people who said, did you see him? I saw him. I saw him. I saw him. And here's what he did in my life. How many of you today will say, I'm a witness of Jesus. I had an encounter with him, and this is what he's done in my life. In fact, you say, but I'm not an eyewitness. Well, let me help you. In Acts chapter 5, verse 32, Peter, the same Simon who's a fisherman, says, we are witness of, the, of these things, and so is everyone who has the Holy Spirit, and so is the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit lives in you, you become an eyewitness of Jesus, even if you haven't seen him with your natural eye. Now, back to our story. Because it's so encouraging. Um, Simon has all these moments of encountering Jesus. We know he follows him, but it's like a relationship. It's, it it goes, grows gradually. I remember when I met some of you in this church, the first day I met you, and I now say this to people, I have no idea where this relationship is going to go, but you hear someone, you get to know their story, and you get connected to them, and as things unfold, it becomes this amazing drama. Chris Boston sitting right in front of me. Stand up, Chris, so they can see who I'm talking about. Chris was a, uh, a college football athlete. He played football at Howard University. Yeah. Okay, they, I'll go to you. H-U. Those are the Howard graduates in the room. Georgetown, are you here? GW? AU? Maryland? C? Good. When this church started in 1999, and, and why, why, why this? The average age in our church is 28 to 30. So you're either young or younger. I'm young. Most everybody else is younger. So if you're 80, 90 years old, you're young. But the high school and college students among us, they, and, and young professionals, you're younger. So that, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So... Many of us were one to Christ when we were on the college campus. I grew up in a local church context, but at 19 is when I began to follow Jesus as Lord. Prior to that moment, I knew him as Savior, even though I used the word Lord and Savior, he was not Lord. I didn't obey him. I just said, I'm sorry, every Sunday. Yeah. Was it because they weren't preaching it necessarily? Just like when you go swimming, you don't mind being rescued, but you're not committed to the lifeguard. You're like, thank you, and you go home. So when Jesus rescues you, the presumption is you're going to follow him for the rest of your life, and it's a great thing. But anyway, many of us were one on the college campus, and like our larger Every Nation family, there's an emphasis on church planting. We were planted 
This church, that's the word we use, plant, because it's in the Bible. We were established. We didn't just wake up one day and say, let's start a church. No, 20 years ago, some of us in this church still were part of a church that was in D.C. on Capitol Hill. Now it's in Chantilly, Virginia. It's 5,000 people. But because of our heart for the city, in 1999, they weren't 5,000 at that moment. But in 1999, when they were, oh, maybe 500 to 600, they said, let's plant a team back in D.C. where we came from. So some of us, even some of the original, are still in this church. We were sent back to D.C. Now, I'm a native Washingtonian, grew up here, love it. So we started with a handful of people, and it's grown to who we are today. So, and we've planted a church in Phoenix, Arizona. We also helped plant the church in Philly. So, and we're going to plant more churches. In addition to planting churches because we want to win our city and we want to win the nation, how many know America needs to be won? We also have an emphasis on college ministry, campus ministry. So we have campus missionaries. Where are the campus missionaries? Stand up if you're a full-time campus missionary. They're in the room. Look at them. Look at them. They graduated from college. They have degrees. They can go get jobs and they can make twice, three times what they make right now. And they're smart people, but they decided, because of how God won me, I now want to give my life full-time to winning others right where I got won, on the college campus. So they're full-time at Howard, at Georgetown, at, 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 at University of Maryland, AU, all the schools I talked about. And in addition to full-time campus missionaries, there are people in this church who work alongside the campus missionaries to reach the campus. Because there's a motto in our movement called, change the campus, change the world. People send their kids to universities from all over the world to come here and to go back to their nation. But if we win them while they're here, when they go back to their nation, they go back different, not just educated. So that's why we believe in winning the campus. We also believe in social responsibility, justice issues, and all those kinds of things. What does it look like to, to come alongside God and deal with trafficking issues and homelessness and all these kinds of things? So we're into social responsibility, the youth, etc. Are we as good as we're going to be? No, because we need you who have the resources and people to say, I own that, God. That's my mission field. And then world missions. Some of you have been, we sent a team to South Africa where we have orphanages, and they came back changed. I mean, you should have seen some of them. They, they were standing up here telling them, let me tell you what happened in Cape Town. Let me tell you what happened in Joburg. And Claudia, stand up. Where's all our South African team who went? They were phenomenal. <laughs> Claudia, was this your first mission? Never even been on a mission. You don't even start with Joburg for your first mission. Your first mission is usually around the corner or not another continent. But they blew it out. It was great. And I got reports from our leaders saying, send them back, please. They were amazing. Lives were changed. People got healed. All kinds of amazing things happened. So that's who we are. We don't just show up on Sunday. Amen. We're called to that by God. And going didn't start with us. Going starts with God who says to us, go with me. But when God says go with me, there's always like, mm, I don't know if I want to go with you. Because why? I'm doing me. I got my life. I'm pursuing the American dream. I'm going places. I'm doing things. God's like, I'm going places and doing things also. And trust me, if you go with me in the places I go and the things I'm doing, it will be eternal. There's no guarantee you doing your own thing. In fact, it's subject to not produce the fruit of the kingdom of God. And you have to be careful because all through the Bible, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. And this is important for me because I grew up in a local church context and I was entrenched in tradition. Tradition is good. It's not bad. I love tradition. Celebrate Christmas, uh, you know, celebrate birthdays, all that stuff. But tradition without truth really has no power. And sometimes you can get in the motion of doing tradition without ever living with the truth, the personal truth of Jesus, and living it out. You with me? So back to Simon. 
One day, Jesus was standing at the Sea of Galilee, Lake of Gennesaret, same place. He's married. Um, He's got a family. He's got a brother named Andrew. And on this particular day, while he has just had a unsuccessful night at work, fishing is not his hobby, it's his livelihood. He worked hard all night, caught nothing. And they're cleaning their nets. And when it's your livelihood, if you don't get paid, how do you eat? He needs fish to feed his family and to sell to the community in which he lives. And while this is going on, Jesus walks by the Sea of Galilee and crowds are crowding around him, so much so he can barely speak. And he saw two boats there, one belonging to Simon, the other one belonged to James and uh, John, who are business partners with Simon and Andrew. And Jesus gets into the boat belonging to Simon, and he says something to him, put out a little. And you know the thing, when Jesus says to us in this room, put out a little, we don't mind. It's minimally invasive. It's, it's what I call a, a minimal interruption. How many of you ever had an interruption from God? Yeah, you're like, ah, and you feel a little bit, but you don't say anything. Because when God says to Simon, put out a little, there's no comment. It's just that he put out a little. He didn't say, I don't want to. He did it. So it was an interruption, but he didn't mind so much because he was cleaning his nets anyway. You're going to speak to the crowd. And it was a form of communication because back then they didn't have PA system. So by being in the boat, it gave him space between the crowd and his water. His voice was reflected off the water. So those who were in the rear could hear him as clearly as people up front. Better PA system than what we have. God has natural acoustics. So he puts out a little, he sits down, and all the people are taught while he's cleaning. And this isn't the first time that Simon has had an interaction with Jesus, but he doesn't know him like he's going to know him, okay? And so after Jesus is done preaching, Simon is ready for Jesus now to get out of his boat. But Jesus says something, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now, those of you who've read this passage, you know yeah, I've, I heard that, but let's hear it fresh with fresh ears. It's one thing to have a minimal interruption. It's another thing to have an unexpected disruption. The putting out of a little, he didn't have a problem with it. But putting out in the deep, now he's speaking up. And he's trying to use a degree of emotional intelligence because he knows he's a teacher, rabbi, and all that. He says, Master, that's how it starts, right? Master, we worked hard all night. And we caught nothing. What's he saying? Dude, (laughs) I worked all night with my business partners, caught absolutely nothing, tired, got to go home, no fish. Hopefully my wife kept that fish from yesterday on ice because that's what we're eating today. We worked hard all night and caught nothing. And he knows this. Jesus is not a professional fisherman. He is by trade a carpenter. So it's the words when Jesus has put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch falls on our ears as just a conversation. But Simon hears Jesus using the language of his business. I don't know the nature of everybody's business in here, but if someone who had no skill in your work sees you at your job, sees you not having a good week, and then says to you, here, let me help you with your job. You're looking at them like, so you've never been fishing, but you're going to tell me how to fish? What would it look like if Jesus showed up to your job next week and told you to do something different than what you would normally do? Right? It just, Simon's going, really? But he says this, because you say so. Because you say so. At our conference, Pastor Sam Ayudagban uh, 
preached this amazing message on faith. And he said, and I would use his accent from Lagos, Nigeria. My wife can do it really well. I will not do it because I've been told that all my accents sound exactly the same. <laughs> my Middle East accent sounds like my North African accent. sounds like my South Southern accent. It's all the same. So I'll just keep the one I have. But Pastor Sam said, great faith is choosing God's will and way over your own. It's obeying him. Great faith isn't just the dead rising. Great faith isn't just someone supernaturally being healed. Great faith is you surrendering and submitting your way and your will to God. That's really great faith. And that's why the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God because you won't obey him when he gives a command. You'll only hear it as a suggestion and evaluate whether you should or not. So here's Simon Peter who knows he's worked all night, caught nothing, says, because you say so, I'll do it. But I don't know that he's expecting what's going to happen next. So he goes from this minimal interruption to now an unexpected disruption, and everybody's gone home. James and John, like, you got it. You take Jesus on out there. <laughs> we'll just stay here. As they go out, it says they caught such a large number of fish that their nets begin to break. They had the signal to James and John to bring the other boat. And it says both boats were so full of fish that they actually began to sink. I believe that this was probably the greatest catch of Simon Peter's life. Why do I say that? Because he said we worked hard all night. The fish aren't biting. And after he caught the fish, he didn't go, oh, that's good. That's what we did last week. His response tells you how significant this catch was. He looks at Jesus, sees with amazement, just like James and John that says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Whoever says that after having a great week at work? Something happened that was so beyond anything he'd ever done that the greatest catch of that day wasn't the fish. The greatest catch was God catching Simon. That was the greatest catch. If you only put out a little minimal interruption, you're doing something, you're working with Jesus, but only when you put out into the deep where it's a risk, where it's contrary to what you want to do or think you ought to do, that's when you get caught by something that God does that's so miraculous, it ruins you for the rest of your life. Let me explain just an example from my own life. When I was a kid at camp, um, nine, ten years of age, you had to take a swim test first day, and uh, I got the blue band, which meant I could swim anywhere in the pool plus go off the diving board. And there were two dives, a low dive and a high dive. And I'd go off the low dive, bounce, cannonball, cannonball uh, water, how many like to swim? Water displacement, all that. Doing dives, flips, swan dives. I just loved going off. I tried to jump out as far as I could. All my boys were having fun. And one day I'm on the low dive, and the lifeguard decides to start a conversation with me. and says, hey, why don't you go off the high dive? And I look up at the high dive, I'm like, no, I don't know why I would do that. So I go off the low dive. I get back up on the low dive, and he says, why don't you go off the high dive? I'm like, why are you, why are you messing? I'm, I'm having a good time swimming right here. And he says, you should go. And he keeps proceeding to engage me. So he's, I've gone from minimal interruption to now unexpected disruption. And so to, to stop the conversation, I decide to walk up the high dive. It's a lot of steps to get up there. And then when you get up there, you start walking out on the board. And when you look down, you go, oh, this high dive is really high. <laughs> and it's higher because it's not just the board. It's your height, too. 
So I just like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. He says, no, don't go anywhere. Like, no, no, no. I said, come back up. So now I'm above the lifeguard. When I'm on the low dive, I'm looking up to him. On the high dive, I'm looking down at him. My perspective is, this, I'm disoriented, I feel uncomfortable, feel the edges are too close. It's like, and he says, just jump. And I'm like, no. And he said, come on. And we go back and forth and back and forth. And I'm, so I said, all right. So I back up and I say, I'm going to run and bounce. And I start to run and then I go, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> if I jump, I'm going to be even higher. <laughs> no, I'm not doing this. And he's like, look, then, then just, just walk off. I said, okay, that's good, because then it's just a, just a drop. So I go, ah. Uh, uh. Then I looked down and says, what if I don't step out far enough? I might hit the back of my head and go unconscious before I hit the water. I'm arguing with the lifeguard. People are like, hurry up, dude, jump or do something. And the lifeguard goes, I'm the lifeguard. Nothing's going to happen to you. <sighs> Time stood still. <laughs> Eyes are closed, open. I jump. <sighs> Why haven't I hit the water yet? <laughs> I'm going down further than I normally go. Get back up, get back up. <sighs> I get to the edge, I look up. He's applauding. I go, that wasn't that bad. I get up. I do it again. I do it again. By the end of the week, cannonball. <laughs> I went from putting out a little to putting out deep, but it took the lifeguard to have a disruption to get me to go to the next level. Some of us are so, oh, I love God. I'm for Jesus. But you're on the low dive. And anytime Jesus says, come up higher, you're kind of like, no, I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm with you, Lord. And so Simon, here's what happens, though. When he goes out and catches this massive catch, he goes, oh, my God. Can I tell you something? When you are participating with God in what to you feels like this kind of unexpected, unplanned disruption, it turns into enormous production. You can't produce that when you put out a little. You can only produce that when you put out much. And he went out far enough to watch where God works in the deep. I want you to hear an invitation to go deeper with God. Tell you what, it'll change you forever. Don't get complacent here. Jesus never lets you stay on the low dive forever. He realizes we're, oh, you got that now. Let's move it to the next dive. And so Simon Peter, you need to understand something about his life because it's not really him. Remember Luke said, this is an account that was handed down to us by those who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word of God. Don't see Simon at the center of this message. See Jesus at the center. You see, there was a man named John the Baptist who was preaching and baptizing people, and he knew his mission in life was not to be great, but to introduce the one who is. And when Jesus showed up, he said, that's the one. How do I know? Because God said to me, the one on whom you see the spirit descending and remaining, he is the Christ. He's the son of God. And John was so, we have no record of any miracle happening from his life, but his humility and his character is outstanding because he said, I must decrease that Christ must increase. 
on the, on the landscape of the line, John was more popular than Jesus because Jesus hadn't started his public ministry. But John said, y'all think I'm great. Y'all even ask me if I'm the Messiah. I'm not. The one who is, I can't even unlace his shoes. I baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the spirit and with fire. And when Jesus showed up and got baptized, he said, ooh, that's him. And so John's disciples, one of them was Andrew. He said, Andrew, don't follow me. Follow him. When Andrew followed him, Andrew said, I got to go get my brother Simon. So he brought Simon. Listen, when God influences you, some of the first people you should be going to tell are your family members. He went and got his brother Andrew, got his brother Simon, said, come see him. We found the Christ. Now, found him? I don't think so. Jesus came from heaven and found us. But somehow when we meet him, we think we found him. Pastor Brett tells a story about when his kids were little, he would hide in the middle of the living room and put a sheet over his head. And three years ago, come up, I found you. Yeah, you found me. Jesus came down and sat right in the middle of the planet. And we go, we found you. <laughs> yeah, I let you find me. Aren't you glad that God let you find him? Yes. It wasn't through your heart searching. We can't find him unless he reveals himself. And then Jesus is preaching in the synagogue. He does miraculous things. And afterwards, he goes to the home of Simon. And Simon's wife's mother is sick in bed with a fever. And there is no bear. There is no aspirin. We have to realize that when we read certain illnesses in the Bible, there wasn't the kind of cure for it at that time that we have, so we minimize the miracle. We, they might have looked at it more like cancer because what's the treatment for it? But Jesus takes her by the hand. She gets up, she's healed, and then she serves him. So Simon's like, this guy just, this is the same guy. Andrew introduced me to him. Now he's healing my mom, my mother-in-law. Then what he did with my business, and slowly Simon's realizing, oh my goodness. He didn't just show up to heal my mother, though he did. He didn't just have my brother come tell me about him, though he didn't. Did He didn't just make my business have, like, do better in one moment than it did in my whole career of fishing. He actually said, all of this is just me on the go. And as I'm going through, come on and go with me. Which moves you from enormous production, which is where some Christians start. Ooh, he blessed my business. That's good. Let's just camp out here. But Jesus said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Which I don't want you to hear means you need to shut down your business. Please don't go do that. What I want you to hear is, the priority shifted from fishing for what was natural to now fishing for what was eternal and not temporal. The priority in his heart, like my marriage now, my business now, everything, and he did give up his business, but everything is now for him and for the kingdom. He was losing his life. Simon got caught that day, and as a result, he became a witness for Christ. When God blows your business up like that in a good way, you have a marker in your life. So even when days come later that are discouraging, you have a marker to go back. But I remember what he did. And he entered into what I call the witness selection program. <laughs> Once God has healed and done this and done this, you now are not just like the lifeguard saved you. Thank you, lifeguard, leave you. No, no, no. You stay with this lifeguard. And you learn to become a lifeguard with him. He sets up a bench and says, now I want you to start rescuing people with me. Walk around and say, here's one, and pull them out of the water of the world. Isn't that good? 
The, sele- the witness selection program is what he got in. He said, yeah, but Pastor, you don't understand. People aren't nice and everything. But that's why he also has a witness protection program. No matter what you give up to follow and serve Christ, I might, I might experience persecution, but I promise you, he protects all his witnesses. People might reject me, but you will experience his protection through it. It's no guarantee that you won't get sick again. It's no, it's no guarantee that you won't have a conflict in some relationship. It's no, it's no guarantee that you won't be mad at your parent or mad at your child or things won't go right at the office and everything. But when you're in his witness protection program, it's amazing. And for us, here's what I love. How many grew up here in North America? Raise your hand. Or been here long enough to say, I get it. We grew up hearing about the American dream, which is a dream about what? Getting what? You say it. House, what else? Car, money, job, spouse. No one said spouse. Is that not part of the dream anymore? Wife, kids, right? How many think you'd like to have some of those things? How many are working hard, getting a degree? Because one day I want to get paid and all that, right? That's That's America's dream. I don't have anything to say about the dream. What I want to talk about is that the kingdom of God is not at its core concerned about America's dream. God has his own dream, and when it interacts with whatever thing we grew up in, we can filter the gospel through the lens through which we grew up. So if you're pursuing the American dream, if that's your primary pursuit, Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God. So I'm not saying don't seek the American dream. I'm just saying seek what? First the kingdom. So don't hear me like, oh, he told me the American dream. Nope. I'm going to leave that alone. I'm just saying if you're seeking first the kingdom of God, once you really meet the king, you'll find he won't talk to you about the American dream. He'll talk to you about his dream. And then you can say, yeah, but what about this? He's like, that's fine. But go sell everything you have. Come follow me. Wait, wait, wait. Why do you want me to sell? Because Jesus, the kingdom of God, is an invitation to follow him. It's an invitation to come and die. Not just physically, but to die to self. Not just the stuff, but self. And self likes stuff. But when you die to self, all your stuff is his. Amen. If you can't amen that... You're walking away from him. Think about everybody who comes up to Jesus and I'll follow you. He says, will you? Yeah. So the foxes have holes. The birds, they have nests. Not sure where I'm sleeping tonight. Silence. God just backed away. Didn't even shake Jesus' hand. I don't know if I'm going to follow you yet. Wait till I get established and set up, then I'll come follow you. He says, if I'm not first, I'm nothing. Right? And then, you know, this come follow him pulls us out of, it, 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 it's like going off the, uh, uh, that's scary, Lord. I'm the lifeguard. You'll have the most greatest experience of your life. Yeah, but I might get hurt. I'll be with you. But they might persecute me. They persecuted me. But I don't know how it's going to turn out. That's why you're living by faith. Has God touched your mother-in-law, touched your business? Have you been so caught by him 
that the invitation to jump, you can't wait to take it and enjoy the adventure of a lifetime. But what about the American dream? I don't think it has relevance when you get to heaven. But I do think that if you follow him and embrace the dream he has, you'll arrive in eternity. And this is not for pastors. This is not for elders. When Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, that was a mandate that was given to the church. How many of you are part of the church? He didn't, he said it to 11, but it was for them to reproduce it over and over and over and over again. And so you have this moment where when you are following him, when you are going with him, you are going to have to be prepared for unexpected disruption. And it will happen over and over and over. Some of you are called to be attorneys and lawyers. Raise your hand if you know God called you to be an attorney. Great. One kind of went like this, not sure. One went this way. The one who went not sure probably didn't feel that way at the beginning. It's like only after getting like, I don't know, maybe, right? Not sure. I wanted to be an attorney, and it wasn't because I was called to be it. Just because I wanted the American. And I grew up in the inner city. I'm like, ah, full ride to the law school of my choice. Ah, so good. And then God just interrupted it and said, go work with youth in the inner city. No. No, you wouldn't have offered me a full scholarship and then say, go do that. No. No. Seek first the which one's the kingdom? Pursuing law school or working with youth? They're both good things. It's just which one is the kingdom? If he says this one, then you go to law school. If he says this one, then you go work with the youth. It's not one's good or bad. It's whatever is kingdom. And so for you who he said kingdom is law school, good. You did the right thing. I wanted to do it. But I came up behind you and said, oh, he's going to tell me law school too. He said, no, for you this. I'm like, but you told, but you, you told them. You, you know when you're standing in the line behind somebody, you listen to what they get, you're kind of like, yeah. The person before the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler was in line, and the person in front of him said, Jesus, I want to follow you. He said, good, just come follow me. Um, I want you to be over care for the homeless. Thank you. Rich young ruler was like, yeah. I'll give 10% of my money to the homeless. I got more than I got in front of me. Then he steps up. Rich Young really said, what do I need to do to follow you? Sell everything you got. Give it away and come follow me. He wasn't even in the pool. Forget the low die. He went away sad. Don't let the American dream and pursue it cause you to compromise seeking first the kingdom. Because even if you get $10 billion and you get all the cars, all the houses, all the money, beautiful spouse, and kids, you'll be miserable without them. You'll be miserable without them. That's why we keep saying, I just got to get to the next level, just to the next level. It's the deceitfulness of riches. It keeps telling you, selling you that once you get six figures, then you'll be good. Well, that's not enough. Once you get out of debt and you get seven figures, then that'll be enough. Then once you get here and you're chasing something that is leading you, if it's not the kingdom, to sadness. 
This is why Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. He didn't say blessed are those who laugh. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will they'll be comforted. Then he says, woe to those who laugh, they will mourn. So what's bad, mourning or laughing? They're both good. It's just if you start with mourning, the kingdom will bring you to that place. <laughs> then you'll laugh afterwards. But if you start with laughing first, you will end up mourning. The kingdom is counterintuitive. It's not one is bad or good. It's that the kingdom always starts you with following. You have to die first, and then you ascend. Jesus came down descending. Then he got here and served. Then he died and went down further to death. Then he went further to hell, got the authority. And he only was raised when the father said, now I will ascend you. Don't go through life trying to ascend yourself. Go through life dying yourself and let him lift you. Helpful? All right. Pastor Rich. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church or to watch video sermons, visit gracecovdc.org.